Welcome to the podcast Bench Talk, a conversation with me, Joe Hilditch, the High Sheriff of Herefordshire for 2021. I've initiated this series of talks in order to platform unsung heroes as well as noted people of Herefordshire in the voluntary sector. Today, I'm lucky enough to be talking to Kate Bingham, the so-called vaccine czar or czarina, who to me has been the volunteer of the century, chairing the vaccine force free of charge from May to December 2020. She's the reason that we're seeing freedom so well ahead of those in Europe and whose tenacity has got us this far down the road. Our bench today is Arthur's Stone, which is a Neolithic burial chamber made of great stone slabs set in the hills above Herefordshire's beautiful Golden Valley. Like many prehistoric monuments in Western England and Wales, this tomb has been linked to King Arthur since before the 13th century. Legend has it that it was here that Arthur slew a giant who left the impression of his elbows on one of the stones Today we can hear larks and birdsong, a few sheep and the possible rumbling of the odd tractor in the fields beyond. Kate was brought up in these Welsh borderlands and has spent many happy years roaming these fields with her families on ponies and on foot. But today we're talking about her part in the vaccine rollout and we'll be hearing of her affection for this part of the countryside and perhaps even some top tourism tips. But Kate, before we turn to your work on the vaccine rollout, perhaps you could fill us in a bit on your Herefordshire Borderlands affiliations. So my parents bought a cottage in the Welsh borders, uh, bordering Hereford, before I was born. And this was a cottage that uh, was later deemed unfit for human habitation on every count. It had no running water, no central heating, but it was completely glorious and allowed me to spend my childhood running around the hills and swimming in the rivers learning to ride ponies and doing all the fun things that we can do here in Herefordshire. And are you still there now with your family? Yes, just slightly upstream and my brother lives there now So, and my mother at the bottom of the hill. So it's just fantastic. Family affair. Yeah. And you've got uh, three children, I think. Three children, all adults, um, two still at uni, one at grad school, one at undergrad and one who's now a uh, full-time employee. So just to move on to um, the vaccine and your role in the rollout, how, how quick was the process of being offered the job as the, the chair of the vaccine task force? And, and no offence intended, but why you? So in April, um, Sir Patrick Vallance, who is the um, chief scientific advisor to the government, realised that we needed to bring some expertise into the government to think about how to secure vaccines. And so he created an expert advisory group, which also was called the Vaccine Task Force, to which he invited me. And when I questioned him why he invited me for that, he, he said that it was in order that I could provide that innovation landscape, which is what I do. So my role is looking at new science, new products, technologies to turn into drugs. But in this case, he wanted me to be looking at that in terms of vaccines. So I joined that expert advisory group in April and we had a series of meetings. Um, and then it was actually in early May when I got a text, actually during one of those meetings from Matt Hancock, saying, could I speak? To which the answer was no. I was in a <laughs> vaccine advisory <laughs> meeting. But I spoke to him afterwards and he said he'd been speaking to the Prime Minister and would I step up as a full-time chair to lead this in a dedicated team, beyond, going beyond, obviously, the advisory group. Um, and that then took me by surprise. I not very clever and I didn't think about what he might be calling me about and I was so surprised that I had to uh, ask him if I, he would wait for 24 hours while I could just think about it and decide whether or not this was something I could do but he did finish the conversation by saying Kate we are in a time of a national pandemic we are asking you to do this please will you do it so I thought about it over 24 hours obviously spoke to Jesse and when I was expressing my hesitation 
my daughter then said to me that it was outrageous because I had been pushing her about how she needed to get out there in order to find jobs that she wanted as opposed to the jobs that were necessarily available and that she shouldn't undersell herself and she was perfectly able to go out and get these jobs and so when I was expressing hesitation about whether or not I could do it she then told me off and said that I had to just get off <laughs> and, right. and say yes, quite I should do right. it. Quite right, yes. I mean, we all do that with our children, don't we? Tell them to do things and then don't quite do, <laughs> do it them themselves. themselves. Do as I say, not as I do, exactly. Yeah. Um, and what was it that you did already that ensured that you did the job particularly well? So what I was given three goals. Um, the first was to secure vaccines as soon as possible for the UK in order to stop people from dying. And of course, every day we took more people were going to die so there was a real emphasis on speed the second goal was about um, securing that any successful vaccine would be rolled out internationally and the third was to put in place plans to make sure that we were better set up for any potential variants or potential future pandemics so my job is all about turning incredibly clever new science into new medicines and new therapeutics so that's about understanding the driver of disease and then doing all the you know drug discovery preclinical and clinical development manufacturing regulatory approval and get to patients and define who those patients are so basically this is a world I've lived in for the last 30 years and uh, we work very widely and collaboratively across all elements of the industry so it's not just the little companies or the academics which it is as well but it's also the big pharmaceutical companies who ultimately are likely to be the final sellers of the drugs but also could be vaccines because they have the, the the marketing muscle and the distribution to be able to get it get these products out so what i think worked well in the vaccine task force was the fact that i knew the field very well i knew the people very well and it was very quick for me to be able to actually assemble a team of real experts so my job as a venture capitalist is about is is largely as about a convener so making sure the plans are credible but actually then getting the real experts to then execute against those plans. And that's basically what we did in the Vaccine Task Force. Yeah, I mean, so that's actually being a a great chair, because being a great chair is pulling people together to ensure that all parts of the machine work well to do something according to what you need. Exactly right. And so um, we put together a team of part industry experts, so, you know, manufacturing, vaccine discovery, triage, due diligence and development, And we combine that with experts from the civil service, so experts in commercial negotiating, in diplomacy and international relations, in commercial negotiating, uh, project management. Those were the the skills that we were basically able to combine with the private sector skills, and it worked superbly. It's one of the best teams I think I've ever worked in, and I haven't even met all the people in my team yet. So it's all been done by Zoom. And, And wholly unpaid. Yeah. Wholly unpaid. Well done, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And um, and were you regularly talking to Boris? No, I think I spoke to him three times during my tenure. I would talk directly to the Secretary of State for Business, so that was Alok Sharma. So he was, he was the minister in charge of the vaccine task force. And then we had an investment committee of four different ministers, so Secretaries of State for Health, Business, Treasury and um, the Cabinet Office. And they were effectively our investment committee. So they made the actual spending decisions based on our recommendations of which vaccines to, to procure. So yes, we talked regularly to those four ministers about you know the risks and opportunities and, and really what was the likely 
timing and confidence we had in the different vaccines. And that's, for example, why we chose the BioNTech-Pfizer vaccine over Moderna, because vaccines were pretty similar, but the likelihood of getting early delivery was much greater mm. with BioNTech-Pfizer. And so that's why we went for that decision. But it was those sorts of discussions yeah. we had with the ministers. I mean, it's interesting to read that there, I think you procured in total 357 million doses and our population is 70 million. And you felt that kind of five to one ratio it had to be did it actually the experts so again when i was on the original advisory uh, committee i asked i think in the first meeting what their what the experts expectation was for finding a vaccine because remember in april last year we knew very little we had never had any successful vaccine ever developed for a, any human coronavirus and those attempts that had been made against sars1 and mers had failed so when I asked the experts what did they actually think the likelihood of getting a vaccine was, um, they said, well, for those vaccines that were actually in the clinic, so in clinical trials, of which were maybe two or three, maybe 15% were likely to succeed. And those ones that weren't yet in the clinic, they said, well, you should probably assume less than 10%. So I went into this with an expectation that most of what we did would fail. Wow. And therefore, we built a portfolio. So maximized our chances of success by choosing vaccines across the different types of vaccine format so different ways of there eliciting are four different types broadly it? ways of eliciting immune responses crudely speaking either you get the body to, to make the, the spike protein so you can do that by inserting a virus which is the uh, adenovirus approach from Janssen, Johnson Johnson and um, AstraZeneca or by actually just delivering the sequence itself so the mRNA which is the BioNTech Pfizer and um, Moderna approaches or you actually just put in the spike protein as the vaccine itself so what we did is basically surveyed the landscape very quickly worked out which we thought was most promising based on the data everything from preclinical data evidence with those vaccines in other indications ability to manufacture scale deliver uh, whether or not the, the team had actually done it before whether or not they understood what was needed by the MHRA so that's the regulator in the UK that decides and what we felt was uh, actually ultimately in my tenure we ended up with seven different vaccines so I thought actually we would end up with more but when we did the due diligence it was clear that taking more wasn't really additive to what we had so uh, we just bet on the best vaccines in each type recognizing that the most clinically advanced vaccines were ones which were the most risky because they were vaccine formats about which we knew least. So no mRNA vaccine or product had ever been developed ever before. And yet that was in the, in the front um, running, running of, of yeah. the vaccines. So we, of course, took a contract with the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine, but we had to recognise that the, there was a very high chance of failure which is why we then bookended it with, for example, the vaccine that's coming through from Valneva, which is a whole inactivated viral-based vaccine. So that's where you basically grow up SARS-CoV-2, inactivate it, and then that becomes the vaccine. And that's the really old-style type of vaccine. That's the, that's the one I would probably understand or think that it was. So yes, but it's everything else is it's very sciencey for me. But it's but it's the slowest to develop. And we had to actually upgrade their facilities. So I think there are no other Western 
facilities in the world that have that containment ability now to grow up. That was in the UK, was it? In Scotland, yeah, Livingston, Scotland. Yeah. Great team. The, you know, they under, they absolutely understand this. They develop lots of other whole. So is that about to come out? That one. Uh, we're just about to get the um, phase one, phase two clinical data, and then they will they will do their phase three efficacy study. Yeah. Um, so that w- that should be ready for revaccination going into this winter which was the purpose of having them in the portfolios. Will that be a one jab? I think in the UK it'll be a one jab because everybody will have had two jabs already. So I think the revaccination will be a single jab. And and having different ones doesn't really matter. So I've had uh, the AstraZeneca one. I think think it's a positive. So um, one of the things we're doing now, I say we, the government is doing now, is running basically mix and match uh, trials, clinical trials, saying if you have a Pfizer jab followed by AstraZeneca or AstraZeneca followed by Pfizer or followed by Janssen or followed by Valneva can you improve the the breadth and and strength of the immune response now we haven't got that data yet but if I was betting I would bet you'd get a profoundly better immune response so as as far as a revaccination strategy or a boosting strategy I think this mix and match is going to be really important again reinforcing the ideas to why we had a portfolio strategy for the UK so that we could have that breadth of vaccine that we could make available. Oh, it's no wonder that you were busy 24-7. Uh, 24-7 and some. I mean, it was completely crazy. We worked round the clock and and we had one company where, actually it was Novavax, where uh, we had had a very good meeting with them, I think, on a Thursday. And we were we the UK were very anxious that they should take us seriously because they were being courted by everybody obviously the US so we were very keen to be quick nimble and as as cooperative as we possibly could be so we had this great meeting on a Thursday and we're keen to move on quickly so we said okay look why don't we get our teams together and have a quick follow-up meeting when when suits you and I said, well, let's do it on Saturday morning. Does that work for you? And they said, absolutely. We've, but we've never worked with a government that's ever offered us a meeting on a yeah, Saturday. Well, that's so. something I wanted to ask you was, was how do you find working in a public sector environment compared with your private sector, which you've always worked in since, since uni, I guess? Yeah, so I've only ever worked in small companies and businesses. So I'm used to working very quickly. And venture capital is a very quick profession where you you do act very quickly um actually we were given complete authority to do whatever we needed to do so the the way we were set up in the vaccine task force was we we fed into the bayes department business and energy and industrial strategy department but we had our separate investment committee and if we needed them to meet on a eight o'clock on a friday night which we often did the ministers would then would then join us at eight o'clock on a friday night so actually we were able to be very quick now whether or not that could be done outside a global pandemic i don't know but it worked incredibly well with us so you've gone back to a normal job now. Not not quite nine to five, I'm sure. But... No, no, no. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it really has been such a serious business. But along the way, have you had any comedic moments? Well, I had one where, very unusually, I think probably again, this was at a weekend, uh, I was riding my horse on the hills. And I was riding one and leading one. And my leading uh, pony had got loose and had galloped off to join the wild ponies and uh, I then got a call from we just up on that ridge over there exactly and um, I then got a call from um, Alok Sharma who was the Secretary of State for Business and I first of all I did fess up that I was on a horse when he called but what I didn't tell him 
was that I was busy chasing this pony that had <laughs> gone off with the wild ponies, and I was busy trying to grab his head collar <laughs> while I was speaking to, to carry him. on the conversation. I did, and I got and I caught the pony. A true multitasker. <laughs> <laughs> Jess was sitting there laughing. He thought it was very funny. Was he on another pony? No, he was, was riding a bicycle. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in your interview with Nick Robinson, you were somewhat prophetic about what would happen in Europe. Um, but what do you think has gone so wrong? And if they appointed you tomorrow, what would you do to sort them out? So, I think what happened with Europe is they took a very traditional procurement approach, which is what governments do, which is when you want to buy something, you spend a lot of time, you know, debating the commercial terms and... Uh, making sure that you absolutely um, can demonstrate that you've got value for money. Whereas that wasn't the primary driver for us. Our primary driver was get these vaccines, even if they're not perfect, get them to protect the UK population as soon as possible because every day mattered. And so we were absolutely on a, a blitz to try and do this quickly. And I think for whatever reason the Europeans took a different a more traditional approach which is the procurement approach it wasn't that they didn't have experts they got plenty of fantastic people and they are now obviously employing those people now so I actually think it was very very smart of Patrick Valance to realise that expertise was needed and that this was a, a race against the virus not against you know other countries mm-hmm. and beyond Europe what about the international rollout and, and COVAX I mean do you talk to those people Intimately, so I had frequent conversations with with Covax, um, with Andrew Whitty, who was the WHO vaccine envoy. My my second goal, set by the Prime Minister, was to ensure that vaccine was made available around the world. So my team, who were brilliant, worked very closely with Covax to get it in, shaped in such a way that the wealthy countries would contribute to COVAX and contribute to buying vaccines for low-income countries. And that has worked well. And the UK made a very substantial commitment of £550 million, so way above its its sort of batting um, weight. And has also, they've committed that all surplus or 80% of surplus vaccines will go to COVAX. So, and we've got people seconded into COVAX to help share the lessons that we've learnt um, so yes, I think we. So in terms of timing, and you know, if we're thinking of international travel again, and obviously uh, variants that come come and go, do you see that we will be able to roll it out internationally in in order for us to be able to get back to somewhat of a normal life? Yes, it has to be rolled out internationally, and it is incredibly important that those that are most at risk, wherever they are in the world, rich or poor countries, get vaccinated. Um, and we won't be able to get back to a normal life until that happens because there will be ongoing variants, which is, that's what happens with viruses. That's how they evade escape. So we do need to make sure that that happens. And I think, again, I was really pleased to see that treaty pledge at the beginning of the week from the world leaders all saying that they would cooperate and work together. And it really matters. It really does. We all want to get back on the holiday again. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I think, I mean, I think the UK is in a very strong position. Um, and we just need to see what other countries now. Um, and it looks like US is doing a great job now. Yeah. I mean, what would you say to those people who are still adamant that they won't get a vaccine? I, I know a few, or the prevaricators even. I just think, please, please, will everybody who is at 
um, risk and is offered a vaccine should take one because it's not just to protect themselves it's actually to protect others who can't get vaccines so people who are sick or who are immunosuppressed or can't take vaccines are highly vulnerable and they are, will be more at risk if people who are eligible to take vaccines don't take vaccines they will then potentially pass on the disease to those who really are vulnerable so it's not just for yourself but it is to protect all those people that you live and work with yeah. and in your community yeah i mean we're in a society aren't we and that's our responsibility to our society it absolutely is and these vaccines have been used now in millions of people they've been deemed time and time again safe to take it's the right thing to do you're a very straight talking kind of person do you always feel brave when you walk into a room of people no i don't feel very brave lots of the time especially if i don't know the people and especially if they don't know me so actually i found the whole political wife bit certainly at the beginning quite daunting because I didn't and I couldn't remember everyone's names and I'm not political so that I wasn't able to really do all the political chit chat so no I think lots of that stuff is daunting when I'm in my field and talking about drugs or vaccines then I'm much more relaxed or horses <laughs> I mean I know you've mentioned it a few times in articles and, and again in, in the Nick Robinson interview is about imposter syndrome I mean I, I think that I feel often imposter syndrome, but I've come to the conclusion that actually having a bit of humility is is part of what we're about. And you, you feel it's particularly in women, though. I do. And I, I mean, I've seen it in lots of women where, and myself, which in a way surprised me, but it was only when you step back and look at it, you realise that's exactly what you, what you're doing, which is underplaying your capability. And for me, when I was asked on to, to do the vaccine task force, I felt that you needed to be a complete, you know, Nobel Prize winning standard vaccine expert in order to take that on. And of course, that's actually not the case. What you need is to have the skills to get on with putting the plans together quickly and bringing the right team together. So it didn't matter that I wasn't the world's expert at, you know, how do you manufacture mRNA vaccines? Because I could find people that could do that. But I do think it's a female aspect and I do think it's an element of humility which actually is is nice there's nothing wrong with a bit of humility no but I also think that people like me and other women should also recognize that and you know stiffen up yeah, and yeah. and we step should be up pr if... much prouder of ourselves really I mean how does that um, Paul Hereford MP Jesse Norman find being married to such a successful woman well I think well I don't think it's that I think he's been quite <laughs> bored of uh, a lot of vaccine talk and I think you could have the same interview and he could tell you everything you would want to know about vaccines as well so he is now a vaccine expert Jess has been just completely central to my being able to do this role though because every so often of course there would be times when I was frustrated or found I was not being able to do whatever it is I would want and just having that calm experience hand on my shoulder saying look this is the way you might want to think about moving forward and let me advise you on XYZ. Incredibly helpful way to navigate the system. So I was hugely, hugely helped by that. But of course, Jess was incredibly busy and still is dealing with a furlough scheme and all the self-employed and the employed and how to actually keep jobs going. And I think it's been a hugely successful effort. So, I mean, we were a very busy household very last busy year. Very busy household, yes. Yeah. Probably just as well your children are grown up and gone away. And, and able to cook and shop. Exactly. exactly. Have you had any of them at home? Yeah, we had two um, at home th um, throughout lockdown. So... Um, Yes, we'd, we'd, we'd come out of our various rooms and see 
you know what had been made and and uh, look in the fridge and and see if there were things. So, for us so to eat. with the conversation around the the supper table, would it be vaccines more than politics? Maybe or? neither, because <laughs> we were both we were so full of it. No, I mean the supper around the dinner table was lovely actually because we had we had my daughter who was doing finals and my son who was finishing up his second year. Um, in the US and so actually you know every so often he would go off and do his zoom class at eight o'clock at night because of course it was five hours time difference so so let's come around to Herefordshire I mean first of all how do you feel that we've done here so Hereford I think is one of the top counties in terms of speed and efficiency of the vaccine rollout so I think it is the poster child of how to do it and as far as I know, it's had a very high take up in terms of people who've been eligible for vaccines taking them. So thank you to everybody for doing such a fantastic job, not just you know the doctors and the nurses, but all the volunteers who come out during the miserable weather to actually help ensure that everybody who needs to get vaccinated including gets me. vaccinated, including you. Fantastic. <laughs> and what about, what about um, the pros and cons of living in such kind of isolation, glorious isolation, but very isolated? You know, what do you think for, for us? one thing perhaps for others not quite so great well for me it's been fantastic because not having to travel anywhere has been a real delight and not and it just is so much more efficient you don't have to allow the travel time between meetings you don't have the sort of same chit chat while you're waiting to start a meeting so all of that has made things way more productive and of course looking out over these fields and hills is just much better for the soul than looking out after over you know concrete buildings and um and cities so uh, i'm incredibly excited and i think it will profoundly change the way in which we all work and i think we will um, look at how can you balance people's lives more generally across being physically in the office especially avoiding commutes by staying at home so i think i think there's going to be a good reset of how people work yeah. which will be good for mental health Although and I'm balance. quite looking forward to getting back into an ordinary meeting the screen is so two-dimensional yes uh it is and it's obviously very difficult to build new relationships in in by zoom but as far as the vaccines were concerned it was incredibly efficient Brilliant. and probably yeah. if we'd had to do it by face-to-face meetings we wouldn't have been nearly as efficient as we were for Herefordshire, I'm currently chairing this Visit Herefordshire project. So I, tourism and obviously the staycation right now where we can't actually travel. Can you give me three of your top tips for Herefordshire doing, seeing, eating? So, so I love kayaking, uh, which you can start at the River Cafe in Glazebury, which is a fantastic restaurant, albeit just shade outside the constituency and then you can kayak down the river Wye through Hay-on-Wye down to Breadwardine or Whitney well well into Herefordshire and that is just beautiful and the Wye in the summer is not too strong so that you can always pull your kayak onto the side and hop out for a picnic Mm. hop out for a swim you'll see kingfishers you'll see salmon jumping I mean it is just and glorious and I love that and we we'll, didn't do it enough last summer, but I'm hoping to do lots more this summer. Number one. Uh, number one. Number two, I love the hills around here. So um, my children all were in the Golden Valley Pony Club. And some of our happiest times were actually at um, Camp at Dulles and just next door to the Ewers Harold Hill. And that is a beautiful hill for walking, biking, running, riding, and I would massively recommend that. Um, and of course, you can then drop down, and there are some great pubs to be able to have a uh, 
uh, a pint and to quench your thirst after all that walking, running, riding, whatever it is you're doing. And then my last tip would be, I think, the, the Black Mountains. You can't really get away from Hay Bluff down to Longtown okay. to Craswell. Mm. I mean, it is just very, very beautiful. And there are very few places as lovely anywhere in the world, I think. So people come to Herefordshire, please. So I, you are very busy. You've just told us about it. But tell me what else you do in your free time. I have a vegetable garden. So um, I grow fruit, soft fruit and vegetables, which also I find very therapeutic when you can just go to the garden and pick up, you know, some peas and raspberries. Uh, very earthy. Very earthy. So I like the vegetables. And basically what I otherwise do is anything that's outdoorsy. So whether I love horse riding. So I spend a lot of time playing on, on the horses and on hills and jumping gorse bushes and ditches and all that. And in the winter, when the days are so short where you can't really get out, during certainly because during the working day it's working, um, I've now got a one of those absolute kick-ass head torches where I can go running <laughs> in the dark, <laughs> which I enjoy too. Yeah. And the other thing I've read about is you like bog snorkeling. Yeah, so <laughs> I did Sounds that. That's very strange. Yeah, very strange. So I did that initially because I've got such a conventional CV, you know, Oxford, Harvard, you know, I've been doing the same job for a long time. And so I really wanted to just spice it up a little bit. So I first did uh, mount, I first did normal bog snorkeling, which is where <laughs> basically there's a ditch that, that was um, dug in a bog in, in mid Wales um, in order to raise money for the local village. And I think they've raised money for the school and the church and all of that. And I thought that was, first of all, I thought, thought it was a great community. Anything. No, you can't. So you go in with, with a mask and a snorkel. And there's lots of rugby players with long dresses doing it. So it's a comedy thing, really. Yes, and it was sponsored by Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> so it got a lot of PR. And, and, you, and you don't do a traditional stroke. So I first did that. And I think the people that actually win it are serious swimmers. So that, so that, and it's people, actually a race. Well, it's not. No, time, you, it's timed. timed. Yeah, yeah, it's timed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I wasn't very good on the straight swimming compared with some of the, the really strong people. And then I thought I would spice it up even more by doing mountain bike bog snorkeling. So that's where you go, you bicycle into a into a bog with a <laughs> with a weighted bicycle, and then you you put swimming diving weights around your waist. But they are sufficiently concerned about safety that they have two people in the bog to basically fish you out in case you sink uh, and they can't and you can't uh, get out. So that was quite funny, but it doesn't actually work because if you think about bicycling, you need you to be able to push stop, down. Surely. Yeah, but but also you're, to, to propel yourself forward, you need to pedal and you need to be able to push your, your pedals down. But of course, you're buoyant, so it's very difficult to push down. Um, so basically, you're sort of shuffling along on a bicycle, yes. is what you're doing. I was basically just a good thing for the CV. That's right. And it has <laughs> been a good thing. It's been the first thing that everyone talks about. So the working heart of your, uh, of your world, I guess, is in London. But now you've seen how it is to be here kind of all the time. Um, how do you think we should best encourage business people to come here? entrepreneurs young people i think just um to showcase how beautiful it is we obviously need to need to make sure we've got flawless broadband because without that you, you really can't work and provided connectivity is there i think i think it shouldn't be too, too difficult to get people to come um i think if we're going to talk about the university well i mean you could 
tell us yeah. about the university. What do you think about that? So I think the, the fact that we've launched um, the new university in Hereford, so Enmite, is a fantastic uh, magnet to bring both young people who, who want to get seriously engaged in the practical aspects of engineering and businesses to Hereford. I think it's a, a superb opportunity. And I'm really excited by what they're doing. And I'm really excited about how they're doing it. So with this emphasis on practical solving problems, as opposed to, you know, how many maths A-levels have you got? Yeah. And that, I think, should attract a more diverse, creative group of people, which is actually also what you want. So you want people with the, the, the breadth of different ways of thinking and approaching so, um, problems. Um, not just people who've who've come up through a sort of cookie cutter world of, well, these are the different courses I've done. So I'm I'm very enthusiastic about Enmite. I'm very enthusiastic about their launch um, later this year. So the first cohort coming um, to Hereford, and I think actually creating a university town will be a, a fantastic economic boon for the for, for the city. Yeah, and the county beyond. Yeah, and look at all the things that they can do here as well. Yeah, they can they can join me in. Uh, all these outdoor pursuits so thank you Kate and this thank you really goes far further than being here with me chatting about your world on this glorious sunny day at Arthur's Stone high above up above this beautiful Herefordshire landscape it's more a collective thank you for getting us so ahead of the game with your brave pro procurement of a shopping trolley full of vaccines I don't think there's any analogy that I can draw with my regular shopping trip to Kingston which is indecisive unlisted and most often I come back with something I don't need and plenty forgotten. It's been a really interesting insight into your world, something far removed from our slower paced and more ordered country life. But good luck with the day job and eventually resuming normality back in your London stroke Herefordshire life. I think I'll find I will spend more time here now than London given the, the experience we've just had and lucky for me. So thank you for having me. Lucky us. Thank you.